before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. And now on with the show. What you're about to hear is a special preview of the most recent episode of The Endgame, as Bill Fleckenstein and I welcome Russell Clark to the show. What follows is a deeply fascinating conversation about Japan's experience with monetary policy and deflation, as well as Russell's thoughts on the misunderstood importance of food prices in the inflation-deflation debate. This conversation will open your eyes to an entirely new way of thinking about what is perhaps the most important question facing investors today. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The Endgame, The Super Terrific Happy Hour and The Narrative Game is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all the podcasts, while members of the silver tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So, if you enjoy what you hear on this show and you want more high-quality content like it, please make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of The Endgame. Joining me, as always, the great, the one and only Bill Fleckenstein. Hi, mate. How are you? I'm doing just fine. How are you doing today? Uh, Good, 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 good. All is right with the world, and we're about to have... uh, an excellent conversation, no doubt, with um, with Russell Clark, who uh, is um, a really, really smart, really interesting guy. Many people will be familiar with him, but many won't. Um, Russell uh, is the name above the door at Russell Clark Investment Management now. He previously fund called Horseman Capital. He's written some extremely provocative and very thought-provoking stuff, which you'll find out there, and, and has... Um, has had an extraordinary run of things. He's, he's spent a lot of time focusing on Japan, which we want to talk to him today about. Um, and I think we're also going to get into inflation and deflation. Um, so why don't we just uh, get straight to the meat of this, Bill, and, and welcome Russell to the show. I think it's a wonderful idea. Russell, welcome to the Endgame, mate. Thanks for taking the time to join us. This is, uh, this is a, a, a excellent opportunity for us to have a chat with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, someone sent me uh your podcast to listen to because it said you know you're talking about some of the stuff i was talking about i listened to it's fantastic uh, so thank you very much for for having me well there's 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 so many things to chat about but i i think what we'd love to do first if you could just quickly just give give the audience a little bit of your background just so they know the kind of where you're coming from because um you're extremely familiar to many and unfamiliar to to others and so it'd be great that to give everyone's kind of a level playing field to stocks i think your background is interesting and very germane to the conversation we're gonna have today okay sure yeah look uh, so uh i i was born and raised in australia and then you know in the sort of you know and then in the 91 my parents would be a good idea for me to go learn about the world so shipped me off to be a high school exchange student in japan in 91 which very top of the japanese bull market um, and, you know, then I went back to university, did a degree in Asian studies and, and economics, uh, you know, and then I sort of traveled around Asia for a while in the nineties doing various things. And then I started working at the very top of the dot-com bubble, um, at, at UBS. Yeah. It was literally, you know, 
I think it was Valentine's Day 2000, I started UBS. And then right. about six months later, half the people who were there had been fired because it was just like, turn the switch off. The revenues yeah. aren't there anymore. Off they go. Um, you know, and so that was sort of my start, the Japanese bust and then the dot-com bust. So, you know, I sort of probably took that from those two experiences slightly more, uh, I want to say pessimistic, but uh, sort of cynical eye on yeah. what things could do and how they, things could be. Um, and, you know, one of the things that really bugged me when I first started out, and it's not so much now, but back in the day was, you know, people always say to you, equities always outperform bonds, and if central banks cut rates too low, you get inflation. If governments spend too much money, you get inflation, and you go, yeah, yeah, how about, but yeah, and then, you, then I'd say, well, what about Japan? They've had any of those problems. Yeah. And they go, well, Japan's special. It's different or something like that. And that always used to bug me. So I think where most people would be familiar with or have heard of me is I've always tried to incorporate the Japan experience into yeah. what how the world works. Uh, and, you know, used to have a very good model for it and it didn't work so well. Now I think um, I understand it a bit better. If anyone's going to talk about inflation, you got to be able to explain why there wasn't inflation in Japan because, you know, we're just doing the same things as Japan's doing, you know, yeah. and that's, you know, again, that bugbear still gets me. Anyway, yeah, that's sort no, of... That, you know, that, that's, that's, the perfect, that's the perfect setup, I think, for this conversation because, um, you know, I, 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 like you, I was in Japan at that time. Um, I'm older and grayer than you, so I was actually, you know, working... Um, during those crazy days, and 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 look, and I I have often said that Japan was different simply from the fact that when Japan was going through its its initial, uh, I don't even want to call it a bust. It just kind of stopped going up and started going down. But it was it was on its own. It, it wasn't. It could do all the things it did because the rest of the world was still growing. So when people say, "Well, if Japan could do it, why can't X Y do it?" My my answer has always been that. Or X, Y, Z, and A through T are all doing it at the same time now. So it is slightly different. But um, one of the things that we, Bill and I, have been trying to figure out, and and this actually has been really, I guess, the starting point for the end game, is what happens in Japan. And Bill, I, why don't I turn this over to you? Because this is ultimately this is your question that you've been trying to frame for a long time. And I think Russell is a great person for you to put it to. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you about this, Russell. So it just so happens that one of my first big I don't know, kind of quasi macro scores was in, uh, was Japan. I had, um, I tried to short, um, uh, I'd been trying to short stocks in say 88 and that was really impossible. And then I found some Solomon brothers put warrants had been stripped off of a bond issue that traded in Singapore and they were horribly mispriced because they were just warrants. Nobody cared about them. I wasn't, you know, some market maker on the other side of my trade. And you know what I mean? Um, I mean, there was a market maker, but it wasn't his book. In any case, um, I remember vividly late 89 and then nine and then, uh, um, um, 1990 and, um, the, the, the trade worked out very well for me, but I remember at the time, I, I remember it was very difficult to try to get your arms around how much debt Japan actually uh had outstanding and there were you know they, they, i would try to dig with my japanese brokers and they didn't want to tell us that and all and and everything and then um obviously the they had the the, the big epic you know economic and financial bust 
And uh, now uh, the BOJ has managed to monetize half of the outstanding debt, if you will. And so my one question I keep asking myself is, if the BOJ decided to or, uh, say to the, the Ministry of Finance, look, um, we'll, we'll just cancel these out um, and um, they maybe swap the JGBs that they own for a kind of a token, like I'll call it a perp, whatever you want to, so they can pre- pretend they have something on the balance sheet. But in fact, they would have basically monetized the debt and walked away. I, I, ask, I, I try to say to myself, what would the next move be in the FX market? or the bond market, or the equity market. And whenever I've tried to discuss that with people, they seem to think that, uh, that you know, all the JGBs would be eradicated for some reason. You know, that would mess up, uh, obviously, everyone else who, who held them. But all I'm trying to get my head around is in this laboratory experiment called Japan, where they've monetized the daylights out of everything and are the first to do it, what happens if they if their end game is, is just canceling the debt? Um, so sorry for the long-winded question. You can probably take that ball and run with it wherever you want. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, well, let's just talk about Japan because I think that is probably the key. And it's the key. It was the first country into very low yields and big big levels of government debt. Um, and to me, anyway, it's looking like it's starting to come out the other side, which I think is what will give us some really – is giving us right now some really interesting ideas on thinking about concepts such as inflation, government spending, and other things like that. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that's always weird about Japan and what used to be Japan, used to be, in my view, you could argue Japan was special, was they combined huge amounts of government debt, which was all domestically owned, with extremely large net foreign uh, positive net investment positions. So, you had this combination of a country that owed a lot of uh, money to itself while at the same time lending money to everyone like crazy, uh, which doesn't make a lot of sense naturally, yeah. right? Um, it, it, and, and that was always sort of why I always used to think Japan was special. And the way I sort of tried to, to, to square that circle of those two observations as well as low, very low yields and actually a tendency for... Japan, you know, the yen to strengthen when there was a crisis, was the Japanese just kept saving and saving and saving, and they kept looking for places to put this money, went to JGBs, and then they sent they put send it overseas, and then whenever wherever they sent that money would have a boom, and then at some point inflation in the country that received the uh, capital would get out of hand, currency would depreciate, and the money would come back to Japan, and so you get yen appreciation, lower JGB yields. Um, and, you know, very bad equity markets. And in that view of the world, you know, the reason Japanese had such low yields was... The full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.